The Shadow ran from 1937 to 1954 on American Radio, and this caped vigilante was also featured in the Shadow magazine and turned out to be one of the most enduring and influential creations of the pulp era. In surveys done on people who are far too young to remember hearing any of the original radio programs, and there are a lot more of them every day, when asked what the most popular radio show was, their answer is almost 100% The Shadow. That is how influential the program was in American culture. The character was given a mysterious voice and an ominous laugh by two actors, James Lucurdo and Frank Reddick. And it's mostly Reddick's laugh that we hear on the show right up until 1954 when the series ended. Many people thought it was Orson Welles who played the first Shadow at the age of 22 in 1937 to 1938, but it was Riddick. The radio Shadow was different from the magazine Shadow. He had a secret identity as Lamont Cranston on the radio, who had the power to hypnotically cloud the minds of those near him to make himself invisible. He occasionally used telepathy and the ability to cause others to see illusions, though these powers were faded out later on in the, in the seasons down the road. It got a little boring, I guess. He had a single female companion named Margot Lane, originally played by Agnes Moorhead. She was the only one who could see him. Radio episodes were very melodramatic. Shadow was always tracking down mass murderers and psychotic killers who were committing outrageous crimes. The Shadow would use his invisibility to gather information and carry out psychological warfare on the criminals and would inevitably foil their schemes. The series had excellent production values, acting, music, sound effects, etc., and was certainly popular as is evidenced by a 17-year run. During the run, The Shadow was played by Orson Welles, Brett Morrison, Bill Johnstone, John Archer, and Steve Courtley. Margot Lane was played by Agnes Moorhead, Marjorie Anderson, Marion Shockley, Laura Mae Carpenter, Leslie Woods, Grace Matthews, and Gertrude Warner. One wonders why there were so many changes in that role. Hmm. Though the show was canceled in 1954, many transcriptions were recorded and preserved. On this track, you're going to hear The Trail of the Knifer from February 20th, 1949. Now, this is Heirloom Radio, a different kind of oldies program, and I'm your host, John Lovering, thanking you for listening and thereby helping to keep the golden age of radio alive for a little bit longer. Thank you. Once again, we bring you the thrilling adventures of the Shadow, the hard and relentless fight of one man against the forces of evil. These dramatizations are designed to demonstrate forcibly to old and young alike 
that crime does not pay. Last year, in 1948, the American people ordered nearly three million care packages to be delivered to needy people overseas. Perhaps you were one of those who sent care packages. At any rate, we all know the tremendous need for food and clothing that still exists in war-torn countries. And that means right now, a child or a family overseas needs your help. CARE provides the maximum amount of food for the cost in its 23-pound food package, and delivery is guaranteed. Total cost of CARE food or clothing textile package is $10. You may send your order to Nonprofit CARE, 50 Broad Street, New York City, New York. And now, The Shadow. The Shadow, who aids the forces of law and order, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Years ago in the Orient, Cranston learned a strange and mysterious secret. The hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so they cannot see them. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the invisible shadow belongs. Today's drama, The Trail of the Knifer. keeping the blade sharp, razor sharp, for you, Miss Millicent. No! Oh, no! Nifer, Nifer, have mercy. The day may come when you yourself need mercy. Perhaps, Miss Millicent, but never from you. <laughs> okay, okay, that'll do, that'll do. Uh, just a couple of suggestions and the cast can break for the day. Uh, go a little easy on the laugh, Mr. Trevelyan. As you say, Kirk. And uh, you can make more of that last scream, Miss Lecton. Thank you, Mr. Kirk. You were a little late with that thunder cue, you know, Clardy. Yeah, I guess they must have been wool gathering. Okay. Uh, you and Miss Lecton are dismissed now, Mr. Trevelyan. Thank you. The crew stands by for a light rehearsal. And remember, tomorrow night we open. And that was the last rehearsal of the revival of The Trail of the Knifer, featuring the inimitable Trevelyan, aging star of horror plays of yesteryear. In spite of a series of mysterious mishaps during rehearsals, producer Edmund Gerard was hoping desperately for a Broadway hit. Until on opening night, Richard Kirk, his brilliant young director, walked into his office. Mr. Gerard, I've yes. asked Mr. Trevelyan and Miss Lecter to stop in here on their way to their dressing room in case you have any last-minute suggestions. Oh, well, thanks, Kirk. Well, what'd you think of the dress rehearsal yesterday? It was all right. All right? I thought it was great. I'm sorry, Kirk. It was great. 
As a director, you've done a magnificent job in the face of all the bad luck we've hit with this production. Well, it'll be okay now. Kirk, I... I don't think so. Okay, okay, even if you don't. Opening night is no time to be depressed. Boy, I know this will startle you, but... I'm seriously thinking of calling off the whole production. What? I've got a feeling. A feeling that we'll regret it to the end of our days if we don't. Nonsense. Look, I've sweated blood over this deal, and we're going through with it. What in the world's gotten into you? Look, lad... Last week at an auction, I bought the original copy of this play of ours, The Trail of the Nighter. Yes. Well, I haven't had time to glance at it, as you can well imagine. But last night, I took time and... And? Well, I found this handwritten note attached to the title page. Well, who wrote it? The author himself, obviously. Warning. It is my regrettable duty to inform all future producers that this play is a highly dangerous vehicle. Improbable as it may seem, the leading character is likely to come to life and create havoc with with a weapon that has nothing to do with the harmless make-believe of the thing. What in the world does this mean? I don't know, and I don't like to guess. Well, you're surely not going to let it upset you. It already has. I don't know why, but it... Well, it fills me with a sense of terror, Kirk. Unaccountable and uncontrollable terror. Who is that? A member of the cast, probably. Oh, oh Miss Lecton wants to come in. Thank you, Mr. Kirk. Mr. Kirk thought you might have some suggestions to make about my performance, Mrs. Gerard. Why, why, no. No, I don't have. I think your work is excellent. However, I... Well, Miss Lecton... I'm considering the possibility of canceling the trail of the night. Mr. Gerard. Well, you're not canceling it. What about the backers' money? The backers will understand. They know me as a dependable man. We're going on with this play, Gerard, and that's all there is to it. There have been some mishaps. Okay, so there have, but we beat them all. And now, by Jupiter, we're going to finish the job and get all the fame and glory we can out of it. Bravo, sir. That's about the first intelligent remark I've heard from your ruby lips. Since this little opus got underway. Uh, thanks for the insult, sir. I thought perhaps our producer here might get cold feet. Surprised he hasn't gotten them long ago, what with one thing and another. But I have a taste for the part I'm playing, and short of a tornado hitting the theater, I intend to execute it before an audience of my peers. Now, see here, right? Mr. Gerard, think we should. Shut up, you impediment squirt. Trevelyan, is that the courtesy of the theater? This young female is as out of place in the theater as I would be in a broad jump meet. Now, just a minute. I happen to know a little something about your business. A very little something, Mr. Gerard. A very little something indeed. If you think that a man of my talent and integrity would give up this magnificent opportunity because of a few trifling setbacks... A happy opening to you, Mr. Gerard and Mr. Kirk. And I will see you on stage, Miss Lakeson. I, I'm very sorry, Miss Lakeson. That's, that's quite all right. Where are you going, dear? To my dressing room. Don't let that old egotist upset you, Miss Lakeson. I'll try not to. How do you like that, that vicious old ham? I'm not sure he's vicious, Kirk. Even an old-timer like Trevelyan can get upset with the sort of trouble we've had. Oh, right? nuts. Just don't show him that note you found. I'd never do anything quite so foolish. Where is it, by the way? Oh, uh, I've got it right here in my pocket. Just a moment. Yes, Clarity, what is it? There's a Miss Flynn here to see Mr. Gerard. Huh? 
Says he asked her and Mr. Thompson to come backstage. Oh, oh, yes, Clarity. Send her in. Okay, Am I late, Mr. Gerard? No, not at all. Oh, you know our director, Mr. Kirk, don't you, Miss Lane? Yes, of course. Nice to see you again, Miss Lane. Yes. So where's Cranston? Well, he phoned and said he'd be detained, but he'll be along in a few minutes. He is coming. Oh, he wouldn't miss it for the world. Lamont thinks an opening night is about the most exciting thing. What's that? Pavilion. So what's it all about? Spite. I told him to take it easy on that laugh during rehearsals, and now he's sore. I go on up to the dressing room and talk to him. Right, sir. See you, Miss Lane. yesterday to go easy on your throat. Now, I'm telling you again, and for the last time, cut it out. Just who do you think you are talking to? I happen to be the director of this show. Do you know what I think of you, Mr. Kirk? Let's change the act. This time, I'll tell you what I think of you. You're an insufferable, broken-down old hambone who could be replaced by any cut-rate agent in town like that. You untalented young swine. You snapped your fingers in my face. Thanks for telling me, Trevelyan. I thought it was the ruins of Pompeii. Why, Save right your shame, to... Sangali. And now on your follow orders, or I'll bounce you out on your varicose ear. That'll hold him for a beat, a turkey neck windbag. All I need is one more run in with him and the... Well, what, what do you want? Excuse me. Excuse me. Look, get out of my way, will you? I'm... You're not actually trying to scare me with that phony prop, are you? That trick knife wouldn't cut hot butter. <coughs> Cut hot butter. Gerard. 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 Is your watch right, Miss Lane? I think so, Mr. Gerard. It's 29 minutes after eight. Well, there should have been a standby signal on the curtain ten minutes ago. Who's supposed to get it? Kirk, our director. The gentleman who went up to the president's dressing room. He's been gone a long time. He don't suppose it's just his mind. Could it? I, I think I'd better... He's hurt. He's dead, Gerard. No. The knife. Mike. Yes, the broad, flat, double-edged blade. A weapon that has nothing to do with the harmless make-believe of the thief. What? The note. Hey, it was in his pocket. What note? It was the warning I found attached to the original manuscript of this play. No, it's gone. Where is it? Murder probably took it for a souvenir. Then it started. It's really happening. What is? I'll explain to you later. Well, we've got to be careful. The theater's beginning to fill up. This could cause a panic. I know. I've already warned the electrician not to tell the soul. When did you last see this man alive? Only a few minutes ago. Right here in the office. He left to go up to the Dragon Prison. For what? The was rehearsing a laugh, ruining his throat, and Kirk was very angry. Let's see, where is the One flight up. Third door from the head of the stairs. Thanks. Come along, Marco. I feel safer having you with me. And Gerard. Yes. I think it'd be just as well if you send for the police. Right now. <laughs> Rebellion! Rebellion! 
Valiant. Me? No, I'm Priority, the stage manager. And who, may I ask, gave you the permission to go crashing around backstage? Mr. Gerard did. If you've no objections. Any more questions? No, sir. Then I'll ask a few. What are you doing in this dressing room? I, uh, I just came up to check to Valiant's props. Props? Yes, sir. The pipe he smokes in the first act, the knife he uses for the murder. Knife he uses? It's a murder, sir. Murder, sir, if you'd be interested. I would be. Had to be pretty careful designing that thing. The Valiant's a very realistic actor. When he stabs... How did the knife get up here? I brought it up myself in the pop room after rehearsal yesterday. Now, you see how it works? The blade goes up in the hand. It does. Yes, sir. Look again. What do you mean? I mean, this is the real article. You could slaughter a buffalo with a weapon like this. Where the world did it come from? That's easy. You can buy them about a dozen in any pawn shop. The question is, why did you bring it up here yesterday? Well, uh, I didn't know it was nothing so dangerous, sir. Oh, hello, Miss Lakeman. I've been looking everywhere for him. What's the matter, Mr. Kirk? I saw him lying on the couch in Mr. Gerard's office. I thought he was sleeping. I touched him before I realized that he was dead. Yes, I found Kirk at the bottom of the stairs a few minutes ago. Stabbed to death. Yes. What was supposed to be a prop knife with a phony blade. A knife identical with a weapon Flaherty brought up from the prop room. I don't think even Flaherty would try to deny it, would you, Flaherty? Flaherty, where is he? He's standing right there in the door. see this play open? About how you're a superstitious man by nature and figure this production has been jinxed from the start? Is that so? Don't you think murder's a pretty drastic way of closing a show, Flaherty? You got any more questions? Yes. Where did you buy those knives? Now, look here, you... Well, I'll tell you. There's a young guy named Harmon with no hair and only one eye. Last name. Oh, that'll be telling. Now, this Herman, you see, is a strictly tough egg. He's a mean Herman, is. For a thin, he'd break a bottle over the back of your head as fast as he'd look at you. Yes, where's he now? Oh, Herman? Yes. <laughs> He's standing right behind you with an empty fifth in his mitten. If you budge your muscle, you're done. What are you talking about? Just what I said. I do. Just exactly what I said, mister. We'll return to the shadow in just a minute. We Americans have a healthy attitude about our government. We are never satisfied with it. Our best minds spend a lot of time figuring out how to improve our democracy, how to strengthen it. And lately, a lot of these smart people agree that we've been overlooking one mighty important fact, and that is 
that, like charity, democracy begins at home. Think about that a minute, and you'll see the wisdom of it. Who is the biggest influence in a child's formative years? His parents. Where does he get his training, ideas, values, his prejudices? From his parents. It's no exaggeration to say that the future of America is in the hands of you mothers and fathers. It's up to you parents to set an example, to teach good citizenship, to make democracy live right in the family. And here are just a few ways to do it. Think of your children as individuals and treat them that way. Respect their opinions. Give them responsibilities and duties within the family. Develop a team spirit. Let the children help make minor family decisions. That's the surest way to teach the democratic conception of the dignity of the individual. Freedom is everybody's job. Back now to the shadow. Death has struck down the director of the old horror play, The Trail of the Knifer. In an effort to discover the identity of the real knifer, Cranston was not unconscious in a bar and grill next door to the theater. Now Margot leans over his prostrate form in a back room booth. Lamont. Lamont. Are you all right, Lamont? Uh, well, yes. Barn grill. Hey, look, I'm sorry this had to happen. Where's Flaherty? Flaherty? Yes, Flaherty, the stage manager of the theater, the guy who just tried to crack my skull. Well, Mr. Flaherty just left a minute ago. When I saw him go out, I came in the booth here. I found you. Get to the phone, Margaret. Call the police. Tell them to pick up a Mr. Flaherty. Okay. Anything else happened? Oh, I don't think so. Where's Miss Legton? I left her in George. Yeah? Let's get going. Yes, but the phone. Call from the theater. I don't want to leave her alone any longer than we can avoid. I'm glad to see you. What's happened now? The audience is getting completely out of hand. Mr. Gerard has gone out to try to pacify them. Is he going on with the show? He doesn't want to, but he says he will if we can find Mr. Trevelyan. Trevelyan, where is he? I don't know. He's completely disappeared. Vanished. Come on, Margot. Gerard's going to have a show. We better find the star. Margot, what about Flaherty? Flaherty will be very well taken care of by the police when they get here, Margot, which should be in a very few minutes now. Uh, Miss Laketon. Yes? Do what you can to get the rest of the cast together while we locate Trevelyan. Gerard can't hold that audience out there forever. Grip. Uh, you see Mr. Trevelyan? Uh, Trevelyan, no, sir. Where could he be? Uh, did you look in the old green room? Could he be in there? Well, he ducks in now and then for a smoke door there by the exit. Come on, Margot. It's worth a chance. Trevelyan? Trevelyan? Nobody here. He's covered the entire backstage. What in the world? Look. What is it? Old playbills. Dozens of them. <laughs> These must be 50 years old, Lamont. Look, here's one. Sir John Forbes Robertson in Hamlet. One even more intriguing. Presenting a new murder drama, The Trail of the Knifer. Being the authentic account of the career. Wait a minute. What do you know? What is it? Close the door. I want to get you to look at this. Right. Listen to this, Margot. Being the authentic account of the career of the condemned murderer, Wilhelm Weinstadt, whose crimes terrorized this city in the past winter. That would be the winter of 1923, judging by the date. What does it mean? It means that this play was based on the real-life story of Wilhelm Weinstadt, a killer of bygone days. So? 
Look, my girl, murderers in general, and I see no reason to accept Mr. Beinstein, show no particular desire to have their stories revealed to the general public. Hey, you're Mr. Krantz, Major. Yes. Well, there's somebody to see you out back. See me? Who is it? Flaherty. Flaherty? Why didn't he come himself instead of sending you? He couldn't come himself, Mr. Krantz. He's got a knife in his back and he's dying. <laughs> Oh, please, no. Play a death scene, you ham. 
This is your final curtain. <laughs> Who's that? Someone talking. Are you sure it's not your final curtain, Miss Laketon? Who are you? The shadow. Visible to you, but near at hand in the name of justice. What do you want here? Retribution. Retribution for the ruthless steps you took to stop the production of this play. Not the small things, setting fire to the dressing rooms, wrecking the electrical system. But the steps you took when those things didn't work and the opening night came. You got desperate. I don't know what you're talking about. You knew Kurt was determined to proceed in spite of you, so you killed him. Trevelyan here was to be next. Because he too was bent on producing the show at all costs. But Flaherty got in the way, didn't he, Miss Laketon? That's not During true. During that struggle in the dark alley, you missed. The knife that was meant for Trevelyan landed in Flaherty's back. Then you managed to drag the unconscious star down here where you were going to correct that little mistake. Why should I murder anyone? For a strange reason, but a sound one nevertheless. You didn't want the life of Warren Wilhelm Beinstadt brought before the public again. You wanted your father's story buried in the past. Oh, father. What do you know about my father? I know that the pseudonym of Lake Town is nothing more than the English translation of the German name Beinstadt. Your father's crimes have been preying on your mind for years, and a theatrical performance of them was more than you could bear. And say it's true. What right do they have to rake all this up from the grave? To make me live it all over again in all its ugly, miserable horror. What right did you have to take their lives? The same right my father had. And I'll keep on taking lives until his name is buried once and for all. Now listen to me. Once and for all, I said. Come back here. The theater's surrounded. Come back. You haven't got a chance. And all along, we were trying to stop the production of Miss Beinstadt, Margot. The infamous daughter of an infamous murderer. Miss Beinstadt found she couldn't stop the production with a series of accidents. She got desperate, is that it? Exactly. Kirk and Trevelyan were determined to go on with the show, so in a crazy last-ditch effort, he killed Kirk and tried to murder Trevelyan. Poor Flaherty, of course, who actually didn't want the show to go on either, was killed for his trouble. Mm. Not exactly a successful opening. It's pretty terrifying, actually. Mm. Too bad about the audience. Well, they got their money back. But they came to see a play, and there wasn't any. Yes, there was, Margot. Not on the stage, but there was a drama. <laughs> Powerful and tragic. Only like most real-life dramas, it was done without lights, without music, and without benefit of audience. <laughs> Everyone knows the sound of a human heartbeat. It may be yours, mine, anyone's. Well, one of the ways you can keep that heart beating is to help fight heart disease. And we must fight heart disease because compared to other leading causes of death, heart disease is America's leading cause of death. Our scientists and doctors must find effective ways to combat it. They need your help. Yes, your dimes and dollars can furnish the necessary research, the education and community effort in this all-out fight against heart diseases. So, when you're asked to give to the American Heart Association, give and give generously. Open your heart. Fight heart disease. Now, once again, back to the shadow.
This story is copyrighted by Street and Smith Publications, Incorporated. All names and places are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Listen again next week, same time, same station, when the shadow will again demonstrate that... The weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The shadow knows. <laughs> Next week, same time, same station, we bring you another strange and thrilling adventure of the shadow's daring battle against the forces of evil. The part of Lamont Cranston was played by Brett Morrison, Margot by Grace Matthews. This program came to you from New York. Stay tuned now for Quick as a Flash. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. Well, I see by the clock on the wall, there's a dead fly. That means I gotta go. And I want to thank you for listening in to Alum Radio, a different kind of oldies program, and I hope you'll come back again. This is John Lovering saying so long for now.